Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and I'm so glad that you chose to uh, join me today and to listen to podcast number eight. It's hard to believe that there's actually, I actually did nine podcasts already, because I started with number zero zero, which was an introductory podcast. But I'd like to share some news that I'm very excited about, and it's exciting to me, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that the website AgDaily, A-G-D-A-I-L-Y, or one word, dot com, which is part of the Carbon Media Group, just the other day picked up my Idle Chatter podcast and is listing it on their website. So you now have the opportunity to uh, listen to my podcast through AgDaily, and or at my website, farmmachinerydigest.com. What's really great about the Ag Daily website is that they feature a whole a host of other podcasts. So I look at it as almost like a podcast warehouse, and it's a one-click shopping. So you could go there and you could listen to the Hot Rod Farmer, and you could listen to a bunch of other very good podcasts of an eclectic nature in the agricultural community. So please check it out. It's agdaily.com. And uh, what I would like to uh, talk to you about today, before I talk about horsepower and torque, as I said last week, is I just want to, uh, you know, offer my uh, condolences to everyone that's in the southern United States that is suffering so terribly with the uh, flooding that occurred down there. I Living in New Jersey, I've never experienced anything like that. Plus, we live up high. Our farm is 1,052 feet above sea level and uh, we're up on a mountain so there's no rivers here or anything it would be literally impossible for us to uh the flood like that if it did it's the end of the world because <clears throat> that means the ocean which is a uh, 70 miles away rose that far but anyway i just my heart just goes out to those people and i ask you to keep them in your prayers as i'm sure that you are and i can just imagine what it's like to uh i can't even imagine what it's like i should properly say to be able to see those waters rising and have nowhere to go and I could just imagine the fear and the anguish and the uh, the distress that has affected all those people and the animals too and I uh, you know we're all we all have the same creator and we all have the same fears and emotions and I could just imagine what that was like for the people and for the animals to see that water rising with no place to go so I ask you to please keep them in your prayers if you haven't already done that <coughs> excuse me so, hey, you know, being a hot rod farmer, 
I, as you know, I used to build race engines. And by building race engines, you focus on one thing, horsepower, right? So um, you, just like a high-yield farmer, would focus on bushels per acre, a race engine builder focuses on horsepower because horsepower is what gets the job done, right? And uh, we all pride ourselves as race engine builders on trying to get the most horsepower from the smallest amount of cube or the least amount of cubic inches and or just the uh, highest amount of horsepower regardless of the amount of cubic inches. But that's a term that uh, we all use. We go buy a tractor, we f ask how much horsepower it is. We buy a lawnmower, we ask how much horsepower it is. So the term horsepower is a qualifier that we use uh, as a consumer, both as a traditional consumer and as a farmer, to be able to quantify the, uh, the strength or the ability of the engine. But little do we know about how that term came about. Now, as I said last week at the end of the podcast, we all buy horsepower, but we drive torque. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain that to you today. And then also later on towards the end of the uh, podcast, in our special delivery section, I have a letter here from a, uh, a farmer in Nebraska. Dan from Nebraska, and he has a question uh, in regard to how can modern gasoline engines run such high compression ratio on low octane fuel. He listened to the podcast about octane and cetane, and this prompted him to write in and contact me. So that invitation goes to everyone that is listening. And it does not have to be a question about a podcast or an article that I have on the farmmachinerydigest.com website, but it could be about anything that you uh, have a question about or don't understand or need some uh, technical advice with. Just send those to Hot Rod Farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com, and I do respond to everyone. It may take me a day or two to get back to you, depending upon my schedule, but I do always respond to everyone and open up a dialogue with them, either through email or in some instances, as I said in the past, that we uh, need to talk on the telephone. Lots of times that's more efficient than going back and forth with emails because we could have a dialogue instead of a monologue. But anyway, back to horsepower. All right, the history of horsepower is very interesting. James Watt, W-A-T-T, which we also associate with his uh, rating for light bulbs, how many watts a light, bulbs, a light bulb is, in the late 18th century wanted to sell steam engines. And at that particular time, the the power source for any type of work, be it on the farm, uh, be it in mining, be it in uh, uh, canal boat transportation, was was a horse or a mule. And predominantly a horse, and, and in some instances they were mules, though. But so he came out, so he, he developed a steam engine and he wanted to market it. And he wanted to, believe it or not, market it to farmers. And he also wanted to market it predominantly to the mining industry to pump water. So he went out and he showed, and I, I'm taking some editorial license with this, but this is the true story. And he went out and he showed people his engine and uh, spoke to his engine about it. And as talented a man as he was to develop the steam engine, he uh, overlooked the most common question. 
and he would show it the idea of an engine. You have to remember that this is back in the late 18th century, so engines were something that were that were not commonly seen and most people because of the agrarian nature of not only the United States but the world uh, did not have exposure to see things so the concept of an engine was bizarre to them to begin with and then this guy is coming and he's telling him well you could use an engine to replace a horse and what was good about an engine is that it never got tired, it never needed to rest. It just, and if you kept it fueled, it would keep going and keep doing work, unlike an animal that needs to rest and, and take a break and have a watering and feeding and what have you. So he goes out to show everyone his engines, and very quickly he realizes that they all ask him the same rudimentary question. He was so smart that he overlooked this. And the rudimentary question was, how many horses could this and can your engine, Mr. Watt, replace? And he did not have an answer for that. So he went back to the metaphorical drawing board and figured that he would have to determine some way to put a metric, to put a qualifier on how many horses his one steam engine could replace. And, that, and he developed the equation for horsepower that is still used today. So it was all based upon James Watt trying to sell farmers and mine operators a steam engine. Now if you think of it, just like two people, no two horses have exactly the same strength. And so the first thing we need to do is when we discuss horsepower or think about horsepower is that it is it is only a a a, a metric a qualifier something that we use to assign the potential power the potential uh, energy that an engine has it is not cut in stone because it is not like you say there's an inch or there's a foot or there's a ton or there's a certain weight so it's 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 faulted by design so what he basically did was take what he considered at the time when he had a partner what the average strength of a draft horse was and what he used was the amount of work that draft horse could do to operate a water wheel and he came up with an equation that we still use today and I'm not going to belabor the history of it, but I would like to give you the equation. And I'm going to repeat this again later on in the podcast, so don't don't get nervous. You don't need to write it down, and then it'll also be on the uh, on my website. At the equation will be with the uh, with the uh, title of the podcast. So horsepower equals torque times RPM divided by 52.52. So now we're going to stop and divest for a second. In modern times, the last, let's say, 70, 80 years, the way, and, and I'm going to discuss just now about internal combustion engine horsepower and torque, because there's also something in agriculture and in equipment called drawbar horsepower, there's electric motor horsepower, there's hydraulic horsepower, and those all could be uh, the basis of a, a article on the farmmachinerydigest.com website. So horsepower equals torque times RPM divided by 52.52. So let's make this simple. 
and the way I like to teach horsepower and torque is this way torque is the amount of work the engine could do while horsepower is how quickly it could do it so I'll repeat that horsepower is the amount of work the engine could perform I mean torque is the amount of work the engine could perform and horsepower is how quickly it can do it now let's use an example let's say that you have uh, bags of seed that you need to load into the back of a pickup truck and you have two workers and the one worker can and the bags are 50 pounds each so the one worker can carry a 50 pound bag and it takes him one minute to pick up the bag at the pile on the pile on the skid and carry it over to the back of the pickup truck and place it into it the bed and then come back to get another bag that's worker a worker b has more strength he has more torque he could carry two bags at one time so he's carrying a hundred pounds of seed at one time but it takes him three seconds to pick up those bags those two bags and carry them over or three minutes excuse me carry them over to the back of the pickup truck and place them in the bed so what we could say is that worker B has more torque because he could carry more of a load but worker A has more horsepower because he could carry a load quicker they're both not carrying the same amount of load but he's performing the work quicker so horsepower is how quickly an engine could do work and torque is how much work that it can do you need RPM to make horsepower and that is why a diesel engine is so torque biased due to its combustion characteristics of the way the fuel burns is that it's a very slow release of energy but it's the cylinder pressure stays very constant and that is why a diesel engine makes so much torque but because that fuel burns so slowly it doesn't make a lot of it, uh, RPM it doesn't spin the crankshaft fast so it cannot make a lot of horsepower but the equation of torque to horsepower is still the same so the amount of work an engine could do is torque and the how fast it can accomplish that work is horsepower you need RPM to make horsepower and you need cylinder fill and cylinder pressure which is not to be confused with compression pressure or compression ratio to make to make torque what cylinder pressure is is the force that is exerted against the piston during combustion and that is the cylinder when an engineer talks about cylinder pressure that is what he is talking about and that is why as i said a diesel because of its combustion event the way it the way the fuel burns and has a more constant pressurize pressure rise keeps the pressure down onto the piston which in turn pushes the crankshaft with more force 
but that happens very slowly. It's almost like a glacier moving or like a lava flow from a volcano. It has a lot of force behind it, but it moves very slowly. So it's horsepower and torque work hand in hand. Now, interestingly enough, a dynamometer that is used to measure horsepower and torque only registers torque. And that makes a difference if it's a chassis dynamometer, an engine dynamometer, or a PTO dynamometer for a tractor. It registered, and years ago, before the advanced electronics, they would have an actual, on the dyno, they would have an actual, on the control console, they'd have an actual gauge, look like a speedometer. And they used to call it the beam, B-E-A-M. And it was, it was a big gauge, so it had a lot of resolution. It had a needle like a speedometer. And you would need one person to just, and that read the engine's torque against the water break, the resistance that was put against the engine to measure the torque. And one guy would have to look at that needle and and see what the highest value was, while another one would have to look at the tachometer to see at what RPM that happened. And it was a three-man operation. It was one to operate the dyno controls, which is the load on the engine and the throttle. One guy to watch the beam, which was the torque indicator, and the other one to watch the RPM. And then what you would basically do is you would use a calculator or before calculate you'd sit down with a paper and pencil and you would say okay the engine made 300 pounds feet of torque and the other guy would say it happened at 5,000 rpm so then you would take 300 times 5,000 divided by 5,252, 5,252, and that would mean that that engine, because I did the math already, not that I'm so smart, before I did this podcast, that engine is producing 285 horsepower. Now, if you had a torque rating, and you wanted to convert that back to horsepower, it would go this way. You would have the, uh, excuse me, if you had horsepower and you wanted to convert it back to torque, is that you would go horsepower times 5252 divided by the RPM it occurred at. And then you would have the torque from that at that particular engine speed for that horsepower rating. Now, what I want to bring up here, and a lot of people uh, struggle with this, is that regardless of the engine's size, its power potential, the fuel it uses, or anything about it. Because this is a mathematical equation that James Watt uh, created, is that the all engines have the horsepower and torque equal at 5,252 RPM. That is because the numerator and the denominator on the equation are the same. So if we had torque of 300 pounds-feet and we were at 5252 RPM divided by 5252, all right, as the constant, then what would happen is that 5252 would become 1 and it would be 300 horsepower. So torque and, and horsepower are always equal at 5252 RPM regardless of the engine style 
its design, whether it's a race engine, whether it's a lawnmower engine, or what have you. Now, granted, some engines cannot reach 5,252 RPM, but if they were able to, for instance, like the industry standard for a, uh, a lawnmower type of engine is 3,600 RPM, but if they were able to, then what would happen is that the horsepower and torque would be equal at that engine speed. So horsepower is really, we buy horsepower, but we should really be buying torque. Because when you get in the car and you go down the road to town, you're actually driving torque. Uh, when you get in your combine and you have a high yield and you, 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 it's really working to harvest that crop, it's actually torque that is doing that work, not horsepower. And if you get into your tractor and you're pulling a chisel plow, it is torque that is doing that work, not the horsepower. But back, but we all, even as an engineer, I gravitate more towards horsepower. If I'm if I'm talking to somebody, I'll ask them how much horsepower is it, how much power does it have, and then I won't ask them how much torque it has. And then as a secondary uh, question, I may say, well, how much torque did it make? But we all are in, are just ingrained in in horsepower, and that was back from the old days of hundreds of years ago of the horse being the primary power source on the farm and in an industry. Now, there's a couple other things I want to bring up to you. Is that there's all different horsepower ratings. They all use the same equation, but that is based upon the the standard that is used for the dynamometer testing. And in the auto industry and the agricultural industry, they use an SAE standard. And it's Society of Automotive Engineers. And the, within the SAE standard, there is all different test protocols. Because keep in mind that the temperature of the air that is inducted by an engine and the barometric pressure of the day will impact the cylinder fill. So if you think that any of your engines feel better, stronger, run crisper, run sharper on a day with a high barometer, engines like cool air, high and high barometer so they don't like hot air and they don't like moisture they don't like humidity and they like cool air with a high barometer and why is that because cool dry air has more oxygen molecules in it and the oxygen molecules are needed or required to support the combustion humid moist air has water displacing the oxygen molecules and the higher the temperature, the ambient temperature, the further apart the oxygen molecules are, so the air is less dense. As a drag racer, if we had a cold, dry day with a high barometer, we would call that good air. A tractor pull guy would call, oh, we got good air tonight. She's going to make power because he looked at the barometer, he looked at the humidity, and he looked at the temperature. And as an aside to that, that is why... Uh, most if not all diesel engines and a lot of gasoline engines today that are turbocharged have forced induction use an intercooler because they want to drop that air temperature and that it is a basic rule that for every 10 degrees Fahrenheit that the air temperature is changed the horsepower will be impacted by one percent 
So for every 10 degree Fahrenheit temperature change, the horsepower will be impact by, impacted by 1%. As the air gets hotter for every 10 degrees, the engine will lose 1% horsepower. As it gets cooler, it will as the air gets cooler, it will gain 1%. So what the SAE test standard is, it has to identify a certain inlet temperature into the induction system of the engine during testing and also a certain barometer. And that is what the horsepower, and that is what is called a corrected horsepower. You know, the race engine guys will set this on their dyno and you're supposed to take the the temperature reading of the dyno cell, the barometric reading, and the humidity reading, and input it into what today they would use a computer that controls the dyno console and does all the math. And the way the way some of these guys cheat is that let's say they they promised the customer a thousand horsepower and they dynoed the motor and it only made 920. Then what they used to call it a spin the dial you would just modify the correction factor to tell it that the air is worse than it actually is and that you're correcting to a certain SAE standard and then it would add then the printout would come and show you that the engine made more power because of the correction factor modifying the conditions so in essence it would be just like you would say with harvesting grain you say a bushel of corn is 56 pounds so and then we do a test weight, right? So a test weight is, is hopefully more than the bushel weight. So the thing would happen is that so every every engine that is rated uh, for horsepower and torque is rated to an SAE standard. And that SAE standard and the uh, industry uses a couple of different standards and uh, basically one or two different standards. And it's historically about a, 20, a low 29 inches of mercury barometer and about 90 degree inlet air into the induction system on the uh, engine and I think about 20 or 30 percent humidity but the SAE always changes the standard so that so that is so uh, but keep in mind that an engine will make more horsepower forgetting about what the standard is it's gonna make more horsepower on a cold day with a high barometer a lot of barometric pressure and low humidity and the reason why it makes more horsepower on a uh, day with high barometer a lot of barometric pressure is because the way the cylinder is filled in an engine and the actual the pressure differential between the low pressure the vacuum that is caused by the piston going down in the bore versus the pressure of atmosphere is what fills the cylinder <clears throat> People think that that the uh, that the air is you know we say the air is pumped into the engine. It's really not. It's not really pumped to a certain extent. The low pressure region by the piston going down and the ring sealing sealing it makes a vacuum, and a vacuum is defined as any pressure lower than atmospheric. And then the higher the barometer, the greater the pressure differential between what the piston is creating by by going down in the bore and then the higher barometric pressure from the atmosphere pushing into the engine and that is why engines make less power at high altitude 
and they make less power at high altitude because the because there's the oxygen molecules are further apart the air is not as dense and also the higher you go the lower the barometric pressure is so when that intake valve opens there's not as much force or push behind it to uh, to fill that cylinder and for those that are listening that are involved with aviation is that in aviation uh, they when they have a forced induction engine a piston engine that uses a turbocharger or supercharger on it predominantly they use turbochargers uh, is that it's what they call normalized so that engine is designed let's say if it's a, a continental engine or a Lycoming and it's rated at 185 horsepower it's designed to make 185 horsepower at sea level and 185 horsepower at whatever the ceiling of that aircraft is. So let's say it's 20,000 feet. So that, that turbocharger is meant what's what's called normalized, that it makes the same power regardless of the altitude and the air density, and that is how that engine is designed through the boost of the turbocharger. Whereas an engine used in a farm tractor a piece of farm equipment, a truck, a car that is turbocharged is not normalized. It's using that forced induction to boost the power, not to normalize it, not to keep the power the same throughout the whole um, it's, it's it's the whole altitude range because obviously it's really not going up in altitude unless you happen to live in a mountain, but that's nothing compared to an aircraft. So let's recap this. Torque is the amount of work an engine could do and horsepower is how quickly it can perform it if we think back to the to the two workers worker a loading seed bags in the back of the pickup truck worker a could carry a 50 pound bag and it takes him one minute to lift the bag from the skid from the pallet and put it in the back of the truck and then return worker B could carry two bags at a time but because of that weight he's going walking very slowly and it takes him three minutes to be able to carry that bag from the skid from the pallet over to the back of the pickup truck so worker B has more torque because he could perform more work but worker A has more horsepower because he could perform the work quicker. So in theory, worker A would be able in two minutes be able to take two hundred um, take a hundred pounds, two fifty pound bags of seed to the back of the pickup truck where worker B is carrying a hundred pounds at a time, uh, but it takes him three minutes to carry it over to the back of the pickup truck. So worker B has more torque, worker A has more horsepower. And if you were wondering why, let's say that you're uh, like my wife has a Ford Escape. It's got the base four cylinder engine, has 178 horsepower. I could never pull a chisel, a, a 20 foot chisel plow through the field with that, but a 178 horsepower tractor can. And that's why I wanted to bring this to light because you may say, geez, you know, why can, why can, uh, uh, you know, my, my wife's car not pull a plow or pull, or pull or do some work on the farm and I have a 100 horsepower tractor and that could outwork it. Well, the thing is that it's the torque and not the horsepower. So horsepower, we need RPM, we need crankshaft speed and for torque, we need cylinder filth, we need cylinder pressure during combustion. 
and that is how that all comes together and a dynamometer as I said before measures torque and mathematically converts it to horsepower so if an and as a, you know, an additional aside to this for a uh, number of years back when you buy a smaller engine like a lawnmower engine for a while back they stopped rating them in horsepower because they started to rate them in torque or just displacement because uh, somebody would test one and find out that it wasn't truly at that horsepower but it all depends on what conditions they tested it under and whatever the barometric pressure was the air temperature and then and then also the uh, amount of humidity for that day but if you have anybody that it that that you know a friend of yours or you yourself have ever run an engine on a dyno uh, you could take take a calculator and you could just get the RPM and the torque and you could do the math you take the torque times RPM divided by 5252 5252 and that will give you the horsepower and if you look at the dyno sheet that's all the computer did so it's a horsepower torque it's a, a balance between the two and we really need to buy torque but we buy horsepower and drive torque and within the auto industry we say that the consumer will not buy torque and same thing with a farm tractor is that you know you buy any piece of farm equipment they can say oh it's got you know like John Deere just came out with a uh, a new forage harvester and I believe it's rated at just under a thousand horsepower I think 985 or 965 horsepower so we never see the torque advertised they may talk in a brochure about a torque bump or a torque rise uh, for, for a short period of time when the engine is loaded uh, but everyone talks about horsepower and that comes back to James Watt back a few hundred years ago trying to sell steam engines to farmers to replace horses so we could thank him for that so keep in mind horsepower and torque torque is the actual only qualifier because that's really identifying the amount of work it could do and horsepower is how quickly it does that work so hopefully this makes a little bit more sense to you and uh and it's always nice you know when you're dealing with something to have as paul harvey used to say the rest of the story and now you can understand why you know, all your engines seem stronger on a on a cold day with uh, with very high uh, barometric pressure and low humidity and then on a uh, hot muggy summer day with very high ambient temperature and a lot of moisture in the air that the engine seems lazy or lethargic compared to the way it was on the colder day and so keep in mind that it's one percent for every 10 degree Fahrenheit inlet air change and that is why uh, so many engines today have what they call fresh air intakes where they're not breathing under hood air be it in a truck or be it in a tractor that they try to duck the ambient air because that's the cheapest and the, the the most effective way to make an engine more powerful is to let it ingest cold air so hopefully you enjoyed uh, learning about horsepower and torque now I would like uh, to get to a uh, this letter that I spoke about earlier and I will read it to you and this is from our special delivery segment and I'm gonna have a little bit of a more in uh, length response to him so I'm only going to read one letter today so that I could keep this podcast uh, a little bit shorter I've been going along and I don't know whether that's good or bad 
So he writes, Hello, my name is Dan, and I farm in western Nebraska. I really enjoyed your podcast on octane versus cetane. I now understand those terms. My question is, how do modern gasoline engines use such high compression ratio on 87 octane gasoline? Years back, they would need almost race gas. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for uh, listening to the podcast and and for writing in and contacting me with your question. And uh, I love when people write questions in because uh, it's it's not only do I learn from them because I have to think about their answer, but it also it also serves the audience very well because someone may be thinking about the same question or almost the same question. Well, I'm going to give you the condensed version of this, Dan. And compression ratio in an engine, whether it's gasoline or diesel, uh, compression ratio in an engine is what is required to make it thermally efficient. And the higher the compression ratio, the more efficient the engine becomes as far as extracting the amount of energy from every gallon of fuel that is used. So that is another reason why a diesel engine is more efficient as far as, or better, let's say thermally efficient as far as fuel consumption is concerned for two reasons. Number one, diesel fuel has more BTU of energy, has about 10 or 11,000 more BTU of energy per gallon than gasoline, but also a diesel engine by nature of its combustion event, compression ignition, has a very high mechanical compression ratio, and compression ratio is defined as the volume of the cylinder with the piston at piston at bottom dead center compared to the volume of the cylinder with the piston at top dead center. So compression ratio is actually a cylinder volume uh, with the piston at the bottom dead center and the top dead center. And the higher the compression ratio, the more that you squeeze that volume into a smaller area, the more thermally efficient the engine becomes and the more BTU of energy it extracts from that gallon of fuel. But to answer your question as far as gasoline engines are concerned, the modern gasoline engine, even though it still has all of the same components that that they did 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, uh, is completely different in so many ways. But how they could get by with high compression ratio, and for instance, I have a little Ford Fiesta, and my Fiesta runs on 87 octane fuel, and it has 11.3 to 1 compression ratio. And for the hot rodders in you, especially the older ones with the gray hair, I mean, 11, 11.3 to 1 motor, that was a race engine back in the 60s. And that was not a street engine. And this, this car runs, uh, a Ford Focus has 12.2 to 1 compression ratio. And there's some engines out there today that on in street cars, passenger cars, not performance cars, minivans that are pushing up over 12 to 1 compression ratio. So in a nutshell, in simplistic terms, how do they do this? Two ways. Number one, but the f- two ways, and it's a, both it's associated with the cylinder head is that the cylinder head design needs to pre- needs to promote a high degree of what they call mixture motion in the cylinder and 
the more that the charge is mixed up and and spins around in the cylinder the quicker it will burn and the quicker it will burn as i said in the podcast that that dan is uh is referencing is that there is less time for things to go wrong on a rogue flame front and that is what detonation of ping is so by having a very high flame speed in the combustion chamber which is a product of the combustion chamber design the location of the spark plug in the bore most new engines have centrally located spark plugs so the flame propagates out from the center of the spark plug in in uh, in all directions and a combustion chamber and intake port that is designed to create a high degree of what is called mixture motion and mixture motion could come in two forms depending upon the way that the cylinder is designed they could either be swirl or it could be tumble the way i like to teach it is swirl is like water going down the drain of a tub when it gets down there and you see it all swirls around or the drain of a sink so that is swirl and then tumble would be akin to pouring let's say wine into a goblet where it follows the side of the cylinder wall hits the piston and rolls up those are the two different types of mixture motion but regardless of whether it's swirl around the perimeter of the bore or tumble down the side of the bore and rolling up when it hits the piston is that that mixture motion if it has a high degree of velocity will greatly increase the flame speed in the bore and the flame speed a fast burn combustion chamber will allow an engine to have a high compression ratio and not need a lot of octane will be very what we would call in the industry octane tolerant so that is the and then the other aspect of it is that modern engine controls that have a crank triggered ignition that use a coil on plug system will allow the the rate of spark advance to be very accurately controlled and that is a secondary uh, a secondary tool to uh, to allow high compression ratio and uh, low octane fuel uh, but the the uh, the main reason that that is that today's engines are able to accomplish that is because the cylinder head creates a very high degree of charge motion into the bore and this very quickly quickly swirling and uh, tumbling fuel burns burns very fast and if it burns very fast then what happens is that there's very little opportunity for a rogue flame front to start and to have uh, what we would call an abnormal combustion event and to the lay person you would call a detonation or ping so it is basically in essence the cylinder head design of uh and the ports and the combustion chamber that allows that to happen and that is you know that is really great because we could have this high thermal efficiency with with uh, with low octane fuel and have a great running engine which would be you know the best the best of both worlds so it's uh through the mixture motion and through the uh, combustion chamber design so dan or anybody else if you want to open a dialogue on this a little bit further than i did into this podcast then i uh ask you to please email me and we could either go back and forth uh, on email or we could uh, make arrangements of time to talk on the telephone so uh 
I love combustion. It's very interesting. And, uh, you know, same thing happens with a diesel. A diesel doesn't truly detonate like a gas motor does, a gasoline engine does, but the uh, high rate of mixture motion will have, will increase that flame speed. And that is uh, why, that is one of the reasons, other than power, why, uh, almost every diesel today is turbocharged because the turbocharger creates a, a more efficient burn rate which not only makes the engine uh, run cleaner as far as its emissions are concerned and make more power but allows it to RPM more. So if remember from the beginning of this podcast we have torque and torque is cylinder pressure how much work it could do and rpm is how quickly it could do it and on a modern diesel with the aid of the turbocharger not only are you increasing the amount of cylinder pressure through cylinder fill but you're also increasing the mixture motion coming into that cylinder which will allow the um, combustion event the flame to burn faster across the bore and if it burns faster then the engine could rpm more and make more horsepower and that is how they're getting these especially these diesels and these pickup trucks these light duty pickup trucks are making four or five hundred horsepower and you know 900 pounds feet of torque and it's through all those uh it's through a synergy of those events well listen next week's podcast I hope you tune in because uh, it's something that's near and dear to my heart and what it's going to be is what every farmer needs to know about ethanol. To me, ethanol and gasoline is like GMO crops. There is so much misinformation out there and it's, you know, and most of the people who are talking about it, you know, don't don't burden them with you know, don't confuse them with the facts. They just have their own theory on it. And as we and as the EPA moves forward with a ruling on E15 and as the industry as the agricultural industry hopes to uh to get more ethanol into the fuel blends, I think it's imperative that the farmer truly understands ethanol and gasoline and its benefits and to and to have some talking points of why ethanol is a great product. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the technical aspect of ethanol enhanced gasoline. So that's in next week's podcast. Listen, thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you guys are a blessing to me. I hope that you are enjoying the podcast and just know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher. You have a blessed day and may God bless and keep America.